And all of God's people said, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, team. You know, every campaign season, we have the privilege, remember that word, the privilege of casting our vote for a candidate in various offices. That privilege to choose a candidate of our choice of any of the positions that we'll be voting for is ignored, is subdued, in fact, is mocked by about 50% of the voting public, because that's how many people don't vote. This is tragic for a person like me who grew up under social dictatorship, where we didn't have a choice. It's tragic. Here we have the privilege to choose between two different philosophies, between two different policies, between two different directions for the country, between two different ideologies, between two different ways of life. And yet, half the population don't take it even seriously. Don't ever forget this privilege of being able to choose is deeply rooted in the Christian faith. This privilege of choosing is the hallmark of biblical Christianity. In fact, the Bible from cover to cover is a book of choice. From cover to cover, the Bible challenges every human being to make a choice. The privilege of choosing is rooted in the Christian faith. For example, you find in political Islam or or Islamism, as sometimes is referred to, the the people that are being fought by some Muslim leaders, as a matter of fact, they're the ones who tell you that choice and freedom of choice is evil because there is Allah above and there is a Sharia or His law below. Everybody else must follow like sheep. Not choice. Follow the Sharia or die. Or die. And that is why I often say that there's more commonality between Islamism or militant Islam and Marxism than you realize. Incredible commonality, certainly on this one. The founders of Western democracy and the founders specifically of American democracy have been deeply influenced by the Bible, have been deeply influenced by the Word of God. And the Bible affords people the privilege of choosing. Let me explain this from beginning, right from the beginning, all the way through. When God gave Adam and Eve the choice, the freedom of choice in the Garden of Eden, He told them, sure, when He created them, He did not create them as robots. He could have, but He didn't. He could have created them as puppets to be manipulated by Him, but He didn't. He gave them a choice. To be sure, He spelled out the consequences of each choice. When God called His people Israel out of the slavery of Egypt, He gave them a choice. They could stay in the Egyptian servitude. All they need to do is not put the blood on the post. 
and they stay as slaves forever. But if they choose to escape from that slavery and come out, Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, and he gave God's people a choice. He said, choose ye this day whom you shall worship, Yahweh or Baal. And for 2,000 years of Christianity, Christian history is being built on choice. Either choose Christ and His redeeming work on the cross and be eternally saved, or choose to reject Him, ignore Him, and face the consequences of eternal torment in hell. But there's something else that I must tell you. I don't want you to ever, ever forget it. In fact, I want you to repeat it with everyone that you meet, because it is the question that people often say, and here it is, God never, 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 never send people to hell. Did you get that? People send themselves to hell. When some ill-informed person comes up and says, how can a loving God send people to hell? You can stop them and say, God never, never send people to hell. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. But then the next sentence, which most people leave out, but the world is condemned when they reject the Son of God. Sadly, in today's sentimentality of preachers and preaching, you do not hear this absolute necessity of making a choice, of making a decision. Have you seen this statistic just came out? I mean, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I just want to sit in a corner and cry. Fifty percent of so-called evangelicals are saying that you don't have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. Just breaks your heart. As an illustration for this condition of demonstrated to me in the Sunday school teacher who was teaching fourth graders, fourth grade boys, is bright-eyed, and he was teaching them the story, the true story. It's not a parable. It's the true story of Lazarus and the rich man. And this faithful Sunday school teachers, he went to, to pains explaining to them what the rich man did who lived for himself. He had no care for God or for anybody else, and, and then he ended up in the fires of hell. And that there's a poor man named Lazarus, even though he was poor, but he was godly, and he did not live for self, and he ended up in the bosom of Abraham, which what they called in the Old Testament heaven. And then the Sunday school teachers asked the following questions to these bright-eyed fourth graders. Which one would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus? Listen to what this young fourth grader raised his hand, and he said, I would rather be rich man while I'm living, but Lazarus when I die. <laughs> Beloved, this is just about said it all. It said it all. All this false preaching and false teaching that has been going on for 
tens of years, tens of years in churches has produced and grown deeper into the younger generation. So turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6, which was ably read for us, and you'll see how Jesus makes that question of choice plain and simple, plain and simple. Four choices He gives us. And as we continue in this series of messages, in fact, we'll complete it next week, appropriating the happiness that is in you. Here our Lord Jesus Christ gives us four choices. I don't want you to miss this. Four choices. Four choices. They're all interdependent on each other. Sometimes probably when you listen to the passage being read or when you read it by yourself, you think, well, you know, just a few things are just plucked together and put together by our Lord. No, 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 no. The Creator of the world is building up a case one step at a time. Four choices all built on top of each other. First choice, verses 19 to 21, Matthew 6, Jesus gives us a choice between two investment banks. Which one will you use? Secondly, in verses 22 and 23, Matthew 6, He gives us a choice between blindness and vision. Which will you choose? And then he builds up to the third stage, verse 24. There is a choice of masters. It's a choice between two masters. Which one would you choose? Fourthly, and finally, the culmination in verses 25 to 34, he gives us a choice between two ambitions in life. First, he gives us a choice between two investment banks where you invest your money. In a time when people are wanting the government to do everything for them, Jesus points the finger at us individually. Individually. At a time when people want to spread the wealth, that means just simply take it from those who worked for it and give it to those who don't want to work. The Lord Jesus points His finger at us individually as believers in a time when the Bolshevik ideology is ruling some of the streets of America, our Lord Jesus Christ turned the spotlight on us as individual believers. That's where the responsibility lays. Back in the 70s, I used to do something called dialogue evangelism. Dialogue evangelism is where we get the people, the believers, to invite their non-believing neighbors into their home, and, and, and I would go and answer questions. Invariably, these people always come with some red-herring questions to divert our attention. I will not believe because, and then they fill the space, fill the blank. I will not believe because. One of the biggest red-herring questions where people say, I will not believe because what will happen to those who never heard of Jesus? I said, they are none of your business. They are Jesus' problem. Your problem is, you've heard, what will you, decision will you make? And boy, that blew them away. 
I'm in silence them for the rest of the evening. What church will you make? Don't worry about all the other people. They are God's problem. What choice do you make? Now, beloved, you and I have a choice. Where we'll invest our money. Where we'll invest. Listen to me. <laughs> Don't worry about the government. Don't worry about the corporations. Don't worry about businesses. Don't worry about Wall Street. Just don't worry about them. It's you, 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 you. Where will you invest your money? In the local bank, well, they give you a quarter of a percent. Sometimes actually they charge you money to keep your money. Or in the bank of heaven, where you're earning hundredfold. Will you invest everything in the stock market, which goes up and down like a yo-yo, or in the safety of the bank of heaven? Investing in some risky junk bonds that can make you lose your shirt, or go to the high dividends uh, of the bank of heaven. It's your choice. It's your choice. Hear me right, please, on this one. This is important. Jesus is not, not, not saying that there is anything wrong with money or making money. Did you get that? Say amen. In fact, he assumes that you're going to be making money because you're going to be investing it. <laughs> How else would you invest if you don't make money? Nothing wrong with possessions, nothing wrong with uh, saving for the future, nothing wrong with buying insurance. <laughs> oh, the insurance people are going to love me. But, but I'm saying that for a reason. I'm saying this for a reason. In Matthew 25, 22, Jesus commends good business practices. In Proverbs 6, 6, and 8, it says, learn from the ant. That's not your aunt. The ant, the insect that works hard in the summer to save for winter. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, anyone who does not take care of his family is worse than an infidel. In the letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, if you do not work, you should not eat. Ooh, isn't that harsh? Yeah. <laughs> in this kind of a sentimentality age we live in, yeah. But it's truth. It's truth. There's nothing wrong with working and making money. <laughs> in fact, I was talking to a dear friend of mine a few weeks ago, and we were talking about gold and we both concluded, there's nothing wrong with owning gold as long as the gold doesn't own you. That's the problem. The problem with possessions when they begin to possess you. That's the problem, and that's what Jesus is saying here. The question is, which investment venue will you place your money? The investment in the kingdom of God and will help the real needy. Or are you investing in the self and put it all on the self? <laughs> I believe that our Lord is saying exactly that. If you deposit all of your wealth in, or hoarding all of your wealth and accumulating for the sake of accumulation, the end is treachery. When you put all your eggs in the earthly basket, it's not only risky, it's unsafe. In fact, if you want to ensure what you have here on earth, be generous in investing in the bank of heaven. If you want to continue to be blessed here and now, and I'm going to show you from the Word of God, 
then make your real investment where you will be spending millions of years, not few decades. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. People always reverse that. You noticed? You want to know where your life focus is? Look at your finances. You know, sometimes we joke about misers, and boy, I'm a miser. I am very careful with everything. We joke about misers and say, you know, misers really are terrible to live with, hard to live with, but they make wonderful ancestors. (laughs) You know why? Because all you work hard and save, your ancestors are going to come and they're going to blow it away. (laughs) They'll They'll spend it as fast as they'll get it. If for even by chance you manage to keep your money and save it from loss, in the end you're going to lose it anyway. Beloved, I have never seen a U-Haul truck following a hearse. Have you? You're going to leave it behind. As we have been seeing throughout the Sermon on the Mount, or Richard calls it the Sermon on the Mount, (laughs) when he gives his annual report, Our Lord is speaking to believers, not non-believers. He's speaking to believers because I can tell you this. Non-believers can give everything away and still not save, be not saved. I'm telling you because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is for the believers who are saved already. First choice, the investment venue. Which one? The bank of heaven? or here on earth. Secondly, he goes immediately from that choice, gives us a second choice, verses 22 and 23. And the second choice is having a vision for life, or going around blinded for life. Look, look with me, please, at those verses, because it really is a choice between light and darkness. That's really the choice. Uh, it really is a choice between spiritual blindness, not physical blindness, spiritual blindness and spiritual vision for life. Now, you heard me say this before. I know this. It's not because I'm getting old. I'm repeating myself. And I know I said this before. <laughs> but I was always a curious little boy. And when I was eight years old, I used to sit next to my mother at church, and we used to have a guest preacher who came in regularly to preach. He was blind, totally blind. And he would stand up there, and he just recites the Scripture. I mean, I was so intimidated sitting there. How does he do this? And he preached with power, quoting Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And I would nod my mother, and I said, how does he do this? How does he do this? He can't see. How? And my mother would say, son, the real blindness is the blindness of the heart, not the blindness of the eyes. I believe this is what our Lord is saying here in those verses. It's blindness of the heart. It has nothing to do with your physical eyes and with your sight. See, hoarding all of your blessings or using it all in yourself plunges you into darkness. 
On the other hand, investing in the kingdom of God, as we saw the rest of the whole passage, investing in the kingdom of Jesus, investing, it will give you vision for life. It will give you vision for living. It will give you vision for significance. It will give you vision for what is real. It will give you a vision for what is lasting and everlasting. If you need help in that regard, pick up my new book, Treasure That Lasts. Just come out. Hear me right, please. When you have good eyesight, physical eyesight, it will help you know where you're going, right? You look and you see and you take steps and you know where you're going physically. If you're moving this direction or moving this direction or moving this direction. When you have good spiritual eyesight, when you have a spiritual vision, uh, it will give you a spiritual perspective. It will give you a spiritual insights. It will give you eternal perspective. It will give you purpose. It will give you joy in your work. It will give you joy in seeing God's vision for your life. It will give you confidence in Christ's provision, and you don't have to live in worry and fear and anxiety, as He shows us in the next few verses. But also the reverse is true. The reverse is true. If your vision is clouded by more and more and hoarding and accumulating for the sake of hoarding and accumulating, (laughs) if your vision is clouded by worldly values and worldly endeavors, oh, you are in a world of hurt. Two investment banks, two visions, thirdly, two masters. Look at verse 24, two masters. See, he's building up, he's building up, he's building up. This is, this is not casual stuff. This is real. Our Creator God is building up the case. Two masters. Listen, every one of us, I don't care who you are, you have a master. Did you know that? You have a master. Every one of us. Don't get uppity on me and say, oh, no, I have no masters. Yes, you do. You can't wiggle out of this one. <laughs> the ultimate choice is between two masters who are behind the scenes, either Jesus or Satan. You say, oh, Michael, I'm the captain of my ship and the master of my destiny. Yep. Then your master is self. Hello. In reality, Satan is the hidden master behind the scenes. Hear me right. This is very important. Any master other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to find Satan behind the scene being the puppet master. And he has you by the throat even if you don't know it. I can tell you with pride and with joy and proclaim it to the whole world that is watching us now live that I have a master. His name is Jesus. He owns me, lock, stock, and barrel. Here, and Jesus is saying, you cannot have two masters at the same time. He is saying that behind the choice of your investment firm, behind the choice of vision for life, 
There is a choice between two masters, God or mammon. Now, mammon is an old uh, Aramaic word, not Hebrew. It's an Aramaic word. means hoarding material. And it all boils down to one choice between the Creator or a created being. And you cannot be on both sides of the issue. Some people try, but they get hurt. You cannot walk to the right and to the left all at the same time. You can work for two employers, but you cannot be the property of two owners. It all boils down to a single ownership, a single vision, singleness of service in the essence of your choices. Old preacher used to say, you cannot serve God and mammon, but you can serve God with mammon. Hear me right. God is the kind of master who wants exclusivity. Can you say that word with me? Exclusivity. He doesn't like to share. (laughs) Did you get that? When it comes to you, he does not want to share you with the devil. He wants you to himself because he loved you enough to die on the cross for you. He is, had, wants exclusive ownership, exclusive allegiance, exclusive devotion, exclusive, exclusive attention. God said, I am the Lord, that's my name, and my glory I give to no other. To share loyalty with God, the Bible calls that idolatry. Listen, listen, to me, there is no contest. To me, there is no comparison. To me, the choice is very clear. Hands down, I would choose the one who died for me as master. Hands down, I would choose the one who loved me when I reviled him. Hands down, I would choose the one who knew me by name before the foundation of the earth. Hands down, I would choose the one who loved me when there was nothing in me to be loved. Hands down, I would choose the one who redeemed me and gave me hope. Hands down, I would choose the loving master who said, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Who would ever choose Satan, the cruel master, who pays with bitterness and and gall? Who would choose Satan, who promises much and pays severe pain? Choose between two investment institutions, between two visions— between two masters, and all of that is going to lead you finally, the consequences of these choices, going to lead you fourthly to two ambitions in life, two ambitions. Our Lord Jesus waits until we comprehend the first three, and then He comes up with the fourth one. (laughs) And folks, This one is a biggie. This fourth one is a biggie. It's the most desperately needed in our day and in any day. For it is only when you comprehend the choice 
between what is dependable and what is fleeting, between blindness and vision, between a great master and a slave driver, only then can you choose to live in victory and joy and contentment regardless of your circumstances because you know that He's taking care of all the details of your life. Now, worry and anxiety, once you've made those three choices clear, when you choose to place your investment in the bank of heaven, when you choose a bright vision for your life, when you choose a loving God for your master, then and only then will you be able to not worry about a thing. When you choose a loving master, your attitude and your holy ambition is going to follow suit. Why? Because by the time you make the first three choices, you will not be anxious. You will not be fretting. You will not be worried. Because you already rejected the competition. That makes you worry. It makes you anxious. It makes you fearful. You rejected that. You have made the decision to master your mammon and not allow mammon to master you. You have chosen the master who is concerned about every single hair on your head. So why worry about your needs? He is taking care of every bit of your needs, more than that you're even conscious of. Listen to me. With very few exceptions, and I'm talking about people who mentally are not all there, but with very few exceptions like that, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us live for something. All of us, all of us seek after something. All of us are made to set our hearts and minds on something, all of us are made with ambitions on the inside of us for life. Ambition, by the way, is not a dirty word. Ambition is a beautiful word. In fact, ambition is a neutral word. Nothing wrong with ambition. Being a neutral word, therefore, there is godly ambitions, and there's a worldly ambitions. There is a selfish ambition. There is selfless ambitions. A person's ambitions is what motivates them for life. I have a friend, a dear friend, whose real ambition is to succeed in business because every dollar that comes into his business he gives away for the kingdom of God. They literally... Give it as fast as it comes. I told him just the other day, I said, you can never outgive God because God said, I will not be indebted to you. He ain't going to be indebted. He ain't going to be beholding to you. And so I said, you give it with a shovel. He gives, he's got a much bigger shovel, and he shovels it back. Now, listen, this is not motivational talk. Uh, we don't need, we're not raising money here. So are you listening to me? Yeah. This has nothing to do with money. This has to do with you. This is not prosperity gospel. 
Some people perverted this, but Jesus is the one who said, give and it will be given to you, but when it's given to you, it's going to be shaken and piled over and it's thrown into your bosom. That's what Jesus, he said, when you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. See, God is looking for channels. He's looking for conduits so He can bless you to bless the kingdom of God and the work of God. He's not looking for reservoirs where the water goes in and stays in. Listen, I'm privileged to know people and have friends like that. Just so humbling and challenging for me personally. John Wesley used to say, make all you can, give all you can, save all you can. And what is Jesus doing here is reducing all of life goals into two buckets. Two. That's it. Reduce all the gibberish, all the talk, all the stuff into two. If you choose a heavenly bank, if you choose an enlightened vision, if you choose God for your master, you do not ever, 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 ever have to worry. Everybody else around you is terrified. I see terror in the eyes of people all the time. Why? Because God obligated Himself when you do this. He obligated Himself. Just think about this. If some rich man obligates himself to you and says, wow, you know, I can go to sleep now. I can rest. This is God you're talking about, right? He's the richest in all of the universe. He obligated Himself to provide for your every need. Can I get an amen? You know, years, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Southern California. The city will remain nameless. You probably recognize it. We happened to be there a couple of days to connect for a flight to Australia, so we went just for a walk. And as we were walking down that main road, uh, we were shocked how everything is there to cater for your body, for the needs of your body. I mean, there was a place, a place to pamper your body. There's another place to clothe your body, another place to heat your body, another place to cool your body. There's another place to relax your body, another place to titillate your body. My goodness gracious me, talk about obsession with self. But there was more, more. I was shocked to see a spa for your pet. <laughs> and there was not just one, there was a spa where your pet can get a professional massage. I mean, just think about this with me. Think about how crazy we have gotten. On and on and on and on. Just, you end up saying, I've got to go back. I can't take this anymore. Listen, Jesus is not denying. Listen to me. Listen carefully. He is not denying or even despising your physical needs. He's not. He's not. Don't miss, don't miss this. He's not. He made our bodies. He cares for our bodies. He, he makes provisions for our needs, of physical needs. And He is saying that if you choose well with your first three, three choices, oh, I flunked math, three. If, if you choose well in your first three choices, you will not have to be anxious or worried about your physical needs. 
because He takes care of them. And therefore, don't be preoccupied with your physical needs because He promised to take care of them. Peter Marshall, the Scotsman who pastored here in Atlanta, later became the chaplain to the Senate, used to pray, Lord, save us from the sin of worrying, lest ulcers be the badge of our lack of faith. Robert Elliott said that there are two rules about worrying. First of all, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, it's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. Choosing your bank, choosing your vision, choosing your master, all going to be directly affecting your level of anxiety, worry, and fear. Because all small stuff, all small, and you will be able to see them as small because that's how God sees them. They're very small. He can click His finger and provide for all your needs. I heard a husband who was exasperated with his wife about worrying all the time, and he said to her, he said, why do you always worry? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't do you any good. And she piped back and she said, oh, yes, it does. Ninety percent of the things I worry about never happen. She thinks the worry takes him away. It's a magic. The truth is most of the studies have concluded that 40 percent of things that we worry about never take place. Thirty percent of things we worry about are in the past. You can't do a thing about them anyway. Twelve percent of the things we… It just, it just needless health worries never happen. Ten percent, pretty miscellaneous worries. Only eight percent a real, real worry. But I can tell you, here's what Jesus would say about those eight percent, and I'm taking care of them too. Because you choose the heavenly bank, because you choose God's vision for your life, because you choose God to be your master. You never have to worry, not even about the eight percent. Listen to me. In the final analysis, worry is distrusting of the promises of God. I am told that a dense fog that can extend several blocks of a city that's 100 feet deep, that fog can be condensed into one glass of water. Can you believe that? One glass of water can turn into a fog that covers city blocks. The substance of worry is almost always extremely small, and yet it causes huge damage, huge damage. But when you invest in the heaven's bank, you can sleep soundly because your investment is protected by mighty angels waiting for you on the other side when you get there, and you're going to spend all of eternity there. When your vision is enlightened you will be thinking about where you're going to be spending all of your eternity, not just a few decades on this life. And when God is your master, you will get, He will provide every one of your needs, every one of them, right when you need them. I always say the Lord is never too early and is never too late. In other words, you'll be at peace. Know that God owns everything anyway. God controls everything anyway. And God provides everything 
anyway. Therefore, stay cool. Everything comes back to a choice. Let me tell you this as I conclude. I heard a story about a wise old man, always had answers at his fingertips at every challenging question that he was asked. One day, a cocky, arrogant young man said, I'm going to put the old sage to a test. And so he came to him. He said, Sir, is the bird in my hand alive or dead? Now, if he says it's dead, he will just open his hands and the bird will fly. If he says it's alive, he will squeeze his hands and it will be dead. So the old sage never looked at his hand. But he looked at his eyes. He looked at his eyes. And he said, my son, the bird is whatever you wanted to be. The bird is whatever you want it to be. And so it is with each one of us in our choices. If you want to live a life of worry and anxiety, then spend everything on yourself. Uh, keep blinders on your spiritual eyes for the rest of your life. Become a servant to the puppet master. And I began to talk about election, choice, except for one thing, and I left it to the end. In an election, the results may be two years, four years, six years, whatever the office is occupied, and then we can make another choice. But not with the spiritual matters that I just showed you from Jesus' words these, your choices, will affect your forever and ever and ever. Father God, this is your word. This is not Michael Yusuf's word. This is Jesus' words. Open our spiritual eyes. Open our spiritual ears. Help us to see and hear. And don't allow us to leave this place or stop the streaming in the same way we started, do a transforming work in our lives now, today. There is nothing impossible with you. The Word tells us, is God's hand too short? No. And so, Father, take those words that your Son, our Savior Jesus, has taught us and let them penetrate deep not just as knowledge, but let them be a transforming power in the way we live and in the way we act and in the way we plan for Jesus. We're yours. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen and amen. Stand and sing to the Lord.